Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We're from the Kingsman Tailor's Shop in London. Maybe you've heard of us? Today marks the beginning of a new age. Wait, I'm gonna show you. Say goodbye to the Kingsman. Kind of got a bit of a save the world situation here. Welcome to Statesman. As your American cousins. 
We'll be working side by side. Let's get started. This is the film board from the next reel, and we spoil movies. I'm Pete Wright, and this month we're dressing fancy and boozing just a bit with our friends in the Kingsman and the Statesman in Kingsman the Golden Circle. Thugs in residence for tonight's roundtable come with their very own special mixed drink code names. Andy Nelson, a.k.a. Iron Butterfly. Not just a mixed drink, it's also the new tattoo I got today. Made out of <laughs> oh. iron. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Steve Sarmento, a.k.a. Flaming Blue Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And let me just say, before you have something smart-ass to say, you, I see in the notes that you said you didn't like that code name, but no. Steve, you you never you never get to choose your own code name. You never choose your All own right. code name. <laughs> All right, two Nobody. two more shots in on this one. So uh, Tommy made me laugh twice. I told him I'm shots of bourbon trace each time he makes me laugh. So we'll see where this thing goes tonight. <laughs> There's Tommy Handsome, aka Kick Me in the Jimmy. Oh, I bravs. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. You can find out more about this show and its sibling shows at thenextreel.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at The Next Reel. And we greatly appreciate your direct support on Patreon at patreon.com slash thenextreel. Subscribers get access to our members-only Slack group, special shows like the weekly Saturday matinee, and other fun perks just for subscribing. Thank you very much. Okay, gentlemen, Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Uh, this is, uh, the, the first movie was fantastic, right? We talked about it on this show. Great origin story, great training, nice heart. Does Kingsman 2 live up to that experience? Andy, start us off. I was actually pretty disappointed with this one. Um, mm. I, I had a lot of fun with the first one and this one, I felt like there wasn't enough of a change. There wasn't, wasn't anything really different that stood out to me. And I just felt like it was more of the same. And in the end, I just kind of felt like it was a little boring. So, uh, and forgettable. So I didn't want to leave uh, thinking that, but I did. So that's my initial thoughts. Oh my gosh. No, Andy, this is what a sequel should do. This is a franchise that it's found its footing. I'm looking forward to the next story because it continues the story and adds something new. It raises the stakes for the hero and it gave us everything the original did, but kept it fresh and made it new. It's the bourbon talking. I'm surprised to hear that. Uh, what? Wait, wait, surprised to hear what? That I enjoyed the movie? Yes. What? Am I alone so, on this? I don't know. Tommy, what do you think? Actually, you're both wrong. Just kidding. That's impossible <laughs> for you both to be wrong. Uh, I This movie, like the first one, even more than the first one, it was constantly on the line for me where I was like, oh, here's where it's too much. Oh, here's where it's, I'm going to fall out of love with it. Here's where I'm going to start getting bored. Here's where I'm going to, and it never happened. I had a great time with this movie. I was really surprised how much I enjoyed it because I would think that maybe Matthew Vaughn potentially uh, would be at risk of sequelitis, trying to outdo himself too much. And I thought that while this film was as crazy as the first one, uh, or even more so, I had a great time. Uh, that is fascinating to me. I uh, present it to you. Uh, well, I'm not going to present them all, but I have in my head an opus delivered in five points. One, the effects. Two, bring out your dead, uh, a treatise on the uh, the rebirth of Harry. Uh, three, Elton John. Four, Julianne Moore versus Lispy McJackson. And five, <laughs> Placing the tracker, Oof. dear God, <laughs> placing the tracker. Uh, 
And so I know we're going to get into all of these five points, but they really, these are the five things I was left thinking about when I, uh, when I left this movie, and none of them are great. And in fact, I feel like this film has managed to excise the fun and exuberance of the first film, ratchet up the craziness on the fantasy fun gear scale all the way to Inspector Gadget, and somehow make the look of it mash up Kingsman 1 with Spy Kids. I don't know how they managed to do that, <laughs> but it ended up feeling absolutely uh, empty. The pieces that were best in this film were the quiet moments, the moments where we actually get to see, uh, you know, the way these characters work, the, work these hints of the the heart of the first movie when uh, T- Edgerton and Mark Strong and Colin Firth are on screen together, and, and the rest of it just felt hollow like Andy. I was driving out of the parking lot really struggling to remember what I had just seen. Uh, I was sadly hmm. disappointed in this movie two against two let's do this what (laughs) pete this morning you and i were of the same mind we were like in sync on our list and i don't know what happened to you today steve i i don't know it's i'm you could write it off to sunstroke right now i'm just (laughs) mad wow uh what let's talk about the script Uh, jane goldman and uh, matthew vaughn based on the comic book the secret service by mark millar and dave gibbons have have any of you actually read any of the comics? Do you guys know this story? Like, was this Not was all. this taken from no. one of the comic stories, or is this just something that these two came up with based on the characters from the comics? As I recall from our discussion of the first film, that it was sort of like a, just a one-off, like graphic novel or something like that. So I think this is just the characters. I don't believe there's anything in the story that's pulled from any other source material. I think this is all original, but just building on the characters. From that, because as I recall, the from our discussion, the first one, it was not like a long running uh, series. I think it was just like a maybe multi, like a couple. It looks like uh, issue got three volumes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think like 18, 18 total yeah. individual issues, three collections of six. I think that's how it. Right. I think that's how it came out. So, I, uh, what do you think of Goldman and, and Vaughn? Actually, Steve, I think you should probably start. Well, so when when I look at what Jane Goldman has has written, I go back and I look and I see. Stardust and Kick-Ass, The Debt, X-Men First Class, Woman in Black, X-Men Days of Future Past, and then these these Kingsman's movies, and then Miss Peregrine. So I did not care for Kick-Ass. I haven't seen Miss Peregrine, but I think everything else I really, really enjoyed. So this is a writer who I think has a strong handle on story and works really well with, with Matthew Vaughn on this. So as far as story, like I said, this did everything that I wanted to do. It gives us Eggsy is full on Kingsman. We have another entertainingly eccentric villain that's leveraging sort of a current social issue for their benefit. Uh, we've got the tie-ins to, you know, raising the stakes. And I think there was just so many pieces that it built on the prior story that it wove those pieces in really well, that this didn't feel like a tacked on sequel. They really went back to the original to say, okay, what are story pieces there that we can build on? When it comes back to um, you know revisiting events to sort of see what happened from a different point of view, um, you know we've got crucial information that Eggsy's going to use. He's you know from his memories we go back to things he learned in the first film. So all those things just to me worked really well for a sequel where it's just a continuation of the story and including those uh, continuing elements from the first film. And that's what I want because I think there's the challenge of. Do you retcon stuff and like have to rewrite around things because the way the first story was written? And I think the problems that they solved by going back to the first story, to me, it seemed very smart writing. Huh. 
That- what? <laughs> No, I mean, huh. I mean, because you think, okay, because in the previews, you're like, okay, how how are they bringing Harry back? And I thought the way that they tied that in, given where, you know, we last see him in the first film outside the church, and where is that? That's in America. So again, the statesman could be right there. That that ties in really well. How do we get mm-hmm. him to retrieve his memories? We go back to Mr. Pickle and all of those. And I thought this is really well done to connect the threads together. Yeah. No, I actually, I I think the uh, the rekindling of his memories. Uh, once you buy the fact that Harry could be re- rebirthed thanks to some magic eye toothpaste, uh, I, I think <laughs> alpha gel. I, I think it's you're alpha on. gel. Now you call it what you want. Uh, once you do, once you you buy into that, uh, I think the rest of it is good. And I think that sequence, in in fact, was was really nice. And I actually enjoyed the um, the, the the butterflies. I like the effects of the butterflies. I like the way they did that to uh, uh, to Harry. I and and I think Colin Firth in general was was good. In this movie, when he was in his moments with Eggsy uh, and and Mark Strong, I think they were great. And I do think it was important that the way that they did it, just to interrupt for one second, because if they had just brought him back as an immediate, he's alive and is a superhero, mm-hmm. uh, perfect spy again, then it would have felt like retreading. But this, we got to see sort of a different version of Galahad and see him sort of get his mojo back. I thought it was really exciting. The problem with it is this, though, Tommy, is that they retconned Kingsman 1 in a way that has really damaged it for me. Because in Kingsman 1, I was hurt by the fact that Harry was killed. That was an important Mm. milestone in the damned ecosystem. And they bring him back with the toothpaste on his eye in this movie for a completely ridiculous purpose. I don't need him. They could have told this story without him, let him die, prove that this is a universe in which the filmmakers and the writers are willing to take risks that will hurt your heart and not feel like they're going to magically wave a magic wand and here he is again that we can just enjoy the movie again that was a betrayal and i hated it well and also it diminishes the death of merlin because now i don't believe that merlin's dead and exactly because they have foot that, toothpaste <laughs> right, it's it, it it becomes a problem when all of a sudden it's like, well, we can bring anybody back. And so it, it just turns into one of those games. And I, I just find that it's frustrating. And, you know, we've dealt with this in our current Star Trek series with the, you know, the bringing Spock back to life and everything. It's just one of those things. They they know that there are these popular characters in the side of the, the business side of filmmaking. It's like, well, let's bring it back because the audience love that character. And so they write it in. And I just think that there are times where it does hurt uh, product and yes, I I enjoyed seeing Colin Firth on screen. I think he's a great character in this franchise, but it really frustrated me. And even if it was something that I could buy into, it still frustrates me that they went to the lengths to make it happen. I think that's a really those are really good points, and those make a lot of sense. Maybe why it didn't bother me as much as maybe it either should have or would have is because I felt like it really did help complete Eggsy's transformation. He never got to have that part in the first film because when um, Colin Firth was taken out so unceremoniously after the amazing church massacre that he, for for Eggsy to be able to now go back and save Kim is kind of like, a, it helps really complete Eggsy's story. So I think that thematically it had enough to say. Yes, it was an interesting uh, gimmick to have him... Um, you know, need saving and stuff like that. But I mean, Eggsy really became his hero and really became his savior in that moment. I, I don't you think he could have saved somebody else? Yeah, and he was about to leave to be happy. He would have been happy as a 
Like, you know, oh, they yeah, kill off say, the people. Uh, <laughs> they kill off the people I most wanted to see sequels to. Like, you know, here we they they introduce Roxy really anemically, uh, who became a Kingsman in the last movie, and here she's blown up by the. Uh, I thought we were. That on, was really disappointing. Uh, that was yeah, hugely she's disappointing. Cyrenac uh, de Bergios, and then she's gone. And mm-hmm. then she's just gone. That was really disappointing. And I thought, well, okay, here they are. They they have uh, they've put together this list of of people who. Uh, uh, you know, had a few hours uh, downtime on some other projects and came in to shoot little pieces and then go about their business. No, 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 uh, no, that's no, no. very I mean, much what this movie. No, 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 because it, it's it's solving the what I call the Back to the Future two problem, where you've got like Jennifer. It's like, well, she's not necessary to her story. Let's knock her unconscious for the bulk of the movie. You know, the Kingsmen are there, and so to to give the stakes and have Eggsy, you know, on his own, you've got to take everybody out. You can't just incapacitate the Kingsman. I felt that would have been an easy out. And I think totally taking out the Kingsman, except for Eggsy and, and Merlin at that point, to me was a great challenge to Eggsy of how is he going to do this? Now he's on his own. It's that whole, you know, in the second film, you know, take him into the darkness of he's on his own. He doesn't have the things that he's relied on and he's got to figure it out himself to a certain extent the, the problem is and and then i'll let this go this roxy point the thing i was looking forward to most once i saw her back in the role of the kingsman is uh a, a, you know maybe they're setting up a strong uh woman agent for him to uh play off of during sure. the course of this movie and they killed her so fast and there is no substitute in this film for a strong female character uh, they pretend and, and to have you one can, with Halle you berry. can told yeah i mean you can kind of pretend it's Halle berry you can totally You'd be absolutely befuddled to think it's Tilda. Uh, There is no alternative to a strong agent in a central role in this movie, and that was really disappointing. It's a very good point. And as far as the script was concerned, that the the inciting incident of uh, Julianne Moore, Poppy destroying all the Kingsmen, is never really explained at all. Yeah, almost to a point that I think we're just supposed to sort of forget about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't, it, they clearly had to get us to the States and that was the way to do it. And the other things that, that, um, that uh, Steve definitely said, but it's not very well handled because it doesn't make sense for her to go after them and not necessarily the statesmen. I know that uh, there are some ways to talk about it. I know that uh, Steve mentioned uh, off air some ideas that they weren't maybe able to hack them as much as they were with robotic arm Magoo, but that's us doing a lot of work for that. I kept waiting. Yeah, I felt like yeah. there were ways if like if um, whiskey was always going to be a part of it from the beginning, like that would have made sense. But they just really moved on. That was something that I definitely had trouble with in the script. The inciting incident needs to make sense, not just be so loud. You know, one of the things, uh, Tom, I was thinking about that and thinking about this the point uh, that, that you bring up from earlier, that um, I was listening to an interview with Taron Edgerton talking about how Matthew Vaughn makes movies, his observation of Matthew Vaughn making movies. And he's, one of the things he said was um, that Matthew Vaughn sh- overshoots a lot because he really believes that that the craft of making the movie happens in editing and he mm. wants to have a lot of material different material different takes on scenes different takes on on uh, effects mats and setups and all that i mean he wants to have a lot of footage to muddle through and and craft the movie you know after it's it's shot which is fine it's a that is definitely a technique and we've talked about people who make movies that way 
this movie felt very much like it suffered as a result of that strategy, that maybe stuff that's still sitting in the cutting room uh, it didn't make it on the film that might have explained some of these holes. Because the film is already too long. Yeah, well, it's I mean, it's way not, too it didn't, long. It didn't deaden me as much as I thought it would when they, because I saw it at the Arclight in Sherman Oaks. That's important to know. And um, <laughs> you must be a really important person. Yeah. <laughs> and they give a little, they always have someone go down and give a little speech beforehand, telling you what movie you're seeing and who's in it. I don't know why they do that. But then they said it with a running time of, you know, whatever it is, two and a half hours in audibly the entire audience was like oh like, wait, 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 we did what? not plan our afternoons for this <laughs> no one bothered to look it up uh yeah so maybe i mean it's yeah it's it's interesting to see what might be on the cutting room floor as far as that's concerned it was a it was a strange part of the plot because it seemed like charlie who was the one who kind of comes back to this one as the kingsman who or the the not quite kingsman he was booted right at the last minute in the last film because he um, you know, chickened out when the train was going to run him over. And, oh, right. And then, and then they have that little, you know, the fisticuffs at the end. Um, it's it, it almost is set up like Charlie and Poppy are working together and he's helping her. And so she's helping him like blow these guys up to get revenge or something like it's it seems like a personal revenge thing. Like and, and that's the only logical thing, because in the story context, it's like, why is she going after the Kingsman? And why isn't she going after other elements of of you know uh, you know people policing the world? It it was kind of a strange thing to all of a sudden have this part of the story, except to serve the plot of getting uh, Eggsy to be working alone and and to meet the statesman. And in that context, it just is an incredibly weak setup. It really is. It's a it's a giant hole, and it introduces us to a villain that is ultimately kind of pointless. And uh, that and Julianne Moore. Okay, point four in my opus of five points. Uh, Julianne Moore is was not a strong villain. I found her. Uh, nay, uh, unwatchable in this movie. Oh my uh, gosh! Oh, uh, I, just, I liked her. Oh, I, I had a lot of fun. Oh with my her. god! So fit. much fun. Terrible. No, no. I really no. liked it too. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it because they—it's like you took what Samuel Jackson was doing and they just cranked it up to eleven to just make it. But see, I didn't like that either. Lispy Mick Jackson—that that was oh, way oh, over the top. Oh my gosh! No, I I loved everything about her. <laughs> You know, I love her little intro about, you know, the different, you know, sort of like legal, you know, drugs that are out there. And we've even got, you know, a comment on, on sugar and the addictiveness of sugar and how unhealthy that is. And then the tobacco industry. And, oh, no, it, it gave me a complete justification for how what her motives were, what her rationale was of I'm a successful businessman. I just happen to be in an industry that has not yet been accepted by the world. But there are other industries that are far more harmful than mine that are accepted by the mainstream and they can flourish and, you know, be accepted. She's making all this money, but has to work on the outskirts and, you know, be on her remote island. And to me, that fit it. And I just I mean, I love so much about Poppy Land, you know, the, her two little robotic dogs, Benny and Jet. Um, you know, with the whole Elton John thing was just, I thought, hilarious. I loved oh, it. I it, would have been funnier. it would have been funnier if it was Benny all. and two smaller jets. jets. But just <laughs> on. The, the, like, the, the world just low-hanging she, fruit. Oh, yeah. But the world she created was so much fun there. Her little fantasy. And she's just that that villain that's just so crazy. You know, just, you know, I can't probably eat a hamburger for another couple days because of that scene. It's 
She's so The only sinister. thing I could think of during that scene is thank God he didn't pull a ring out of his mouth. Like that was <laughs> oh, the, oh, sure. that was the only thing that would have made this scene even stupider. Uh, apart from the writing of the character, I liked her performance because I've never seen a big bad do nothing but smile. Yeah. The entire movie. She doesn't give a big <laughs> scary speech. She doesn't scream at someone. Get them. I mean, the entire time she seems like the most pleasant person in the world. It's a take. And I'm ready to see a new take on a supervillain. Yeah, I actually did like her. Um, I'm on. I'm in that camp uh, on this one. Um, I did find some issues with little bits and pieces of it, but for the most part, I, I just kind of enjoyed that element of the story. I thought she was a pretty interesting villain to have, and and her, you know, I guess these both <laughs> the villains in both of these seem to be kind of the the message villains as opposed to like you know I'm going to just take over the world sorts of right. villains. Um, which is kind of an interesting uh, way to take it in this particular story. I I will say though, um, like the end of Poppy, that final climax, if you can call it a climactic battle with the, with the villain, weird. it ended up really weak. And I was like, gosh, I, I wish there was more to Poppy than that. And then they end up just fighting um, whiskey, and and that just for me, the whole whiskey storyline really uh, for me was the one of the weakest links in uh, in kind of the different stories um because i really wanted to see a better final confrontation with poppy i guess i uh, okay and i i want to go back to because i i don't disagree with you about who poppy is like in poppy land i i agree with that i did not like her i think it's a miscast if you're going to go oh, for somebody no. who is who is playing that kind of a role i i couldn't help but think about Gemma mays who uh you know is, is she's going to be an uh, american maid coming up and and uh, she actually plays that role of smiling sinister i think much much better of that and and i that would have been a much more interesting uh casting for me and and so i i just had a real problem with uh, with um actually uh, watching Julianne Moore, I just thought it was a, a bad fit. I'll stand down. Clearly, I'm I'm uh, you're outnumbered. I'm outnumbered on this one. <laughs> I, I'm not going <laughs> to die on that one. Let's talk a, a little bit about uh, the direction of good Matthew Vaughn. Um, did we notice anything? I mean, did you notice anything coming off of of Kingsman One that felt like it was of note uh, directorially, Tommy? The whole thing is very much a director's movie. I mean, it still, it really still has that same kind of feel. It felt a little bit more at times confident than part of the, like the bar uh, fight in this one that takes place in Kentucky felt a little bit more grounded slightly than the one that was in the first Kingsman. Uh, that being said, a lot of the effects in this movie are kind of dodgy, um, which hurt, which took me out of it sometimes. But I mean, I don't know. I find it kind of thrilling for someone just to be like, let's throw everything at the wall. And yet I'm not sure if it's, if I would give it the credit to the director or not. I guess I do because I think uh, it's such a director's medium. But what I sort of said at the outset was that every time that I felt like, okay, you finally either crossed a line or Elton John. Now you finally beat that into the ground. This is no longer funny. I'm out of it. Then he does that flying kick and winks at the audience. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> Matthew Vaughn, I'm back in. I kept I kept being like, okay, this is it. Like now I'm bored or now I'm done with this. And then he would just do this little turn that would bring me right back in. And all of a sudden I'm laughing when I didn't even know, uh, when I you know wasn't ready for it. I think for a film this long and for this also weirdly patient. It really has a lot of downtimes. Like you said, Pete, the quiet times. It really seems to love its characters. 
and think that its characters are very important and are worth investing in and their 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 emotions are important and I appreciate that. That's maybe what kept me from feeling like I was being punched in the face. I, I felt like this was going to be a, a very different movie from the very opening sequence when he's having his conversation with Tilda and they're talking about missing Harry and he turns back and looks at the dog. I think Taron Edges is the best bit of Taron Edgerton in the film uh, when he's choking back the tears mm-hmm. uh, saying he has to go to work. I thought this is the movie I came to see. Thank God. Uh, this is what I want to see. It's they they remembered the heart and then they forgot about it right after that. Uh, Andy, <laughs> what do you think of the direction? Yeah, I, I I think um Matthew Vaughn has kind of established a, a feel for his films. They definitely kind of feel the same way where um the way that he handles his action and his characters and everything. Um I I I kind of enjoy his direction. I'm not totally in love with it. Um but I I, I, I don't know, I always find kind of a weird uh pacing with his films that I, I mm. can struggle with a little bit. Sometimes more than others, um, and sometimes the way he he handles uh, some of the violence and everything. Sometimes I'm not quite on board with it. Um, like yeah. Kickass, I just had such a hard time with that movie. I know a lot of people love it, but I just it just really uh, irritated me the whole time. But uh, you know, for the most part, I think I think he handled everything in this one uh, pretty well. I think some of the action sequences in the first Kingsman were handled better than than uh, than this one. But for the most part, I thought it was fine. You know, and, and Steve, I, I want to get your opinion on this, but I to, specifically to the action and the violence, I, I was in a weird position in this movie. I uh, I after the the when they charged the poppy land which was really the the equivalent to the church scene, right? I mean, it's the big blowout where there's, you know, few against many or one against many, uh, and we're just gunning down everybody in crazy ways. I, I wanted that in this movie. I didn't get it. I felt it, it felt sort of, I, I wanted more violence. I wanted more creative violence. I wanted more cleverness in it. Uh, it, it felt just kind of predictable, uh, you know, and, and strangely, it's weird that I'm pulling for more violence in film, but I really felt like I, I needed it. This movie was sort of pulled its punches a little bit. Well, and I think it felt that way, at least for me, because, and that was part of my problem with this, is because so often it felt like they were just rehashing the same stuff they did in the last film. Like you said, when they, they're attacking Poppyland, it felt kind of like I was watching the church again. You know, we had the car chase where it, the, in the first one, it was them driving backwards down the road while the cop was chasing them. In this one, it was longer and bigger and everything. And, and so we got more, we got bigger, but I didn't feel like it was doing enough that made it stand out as something that was different. Again, also always on the line. Yeah. Of like, I, I think I, I think I really went into it maybe waiting to see it fail. <laughs> I don't know why. What a horrible thing to do with my life. But but it just whenever it was like, oh, you know, it's just yeah, it just kept pulling me back. There were always enough clever things in every single sequence. Either it be camera work, whether it be the music involved, whether it be the editing, all of that, which um, yeah, really kept me involved. And I thought it was still new enough that it was like a, a getting back into a world that I had loved so much. Drop that mic, Tommy. I, I agree with you hundred <laughs> percent on that one. This, you know, I, I agree that I went in and about halfway through, I'm like, okay, what are they going to have a scene that rivals the church scene? So I was sort of waiting for that moment. I, I loved the car chase at the beginning. And I think, yeah, the, the challenge of a movie like this. And I think, you know, I, I sort of compare it to John Wick, where the first one came out of nowhere, just really surprised everybody. And there's a lot of pressure to 
deliver something that's similar, but raise the stakes, make it bigger, make it better. And how do you do that while still staying true to what was successful in the first one? And I think, unfortunately, it puts them often in a no-win situation because if they go straight too far to try to do something new, you're going to disappoint. And if you stay too close to it and ramp it up, then it's like, well, you're rehashing it. You haven't done anything new for me. And I think it, unfortunately, puts them in a no-win situation. So I look at this as far as, was I entertained? Did Did I have a good time with it? Yes. The scene when they're when they're in the bar and Harry walks over to the door and starts bolting it up, you know, manners make man. I just cheered. I was like, yes, thrilled to see them come back to the see Harry in action. And what they did with that, I thought was brilliant because he's not back 100%. He thinks he is. He thinks he's just like he was before, but no, there's issues. And I think they, that played out really well. And I enjoyed that because it was a new iteration of what I had seen in the first one. It did something new. Gave us a look at whiskey and sort of the tools that the statesmen have uh, in play. And I thought things like that worked really well. I think Matthew Vaughn, you know, really enjoys his sort of close quarters combat and being able to move his camera all over the place. We see that in the the car chase and then even in the final sort of fight in the in the diner of just where he's going to move that camera just all over the place to show us all different kinds of angles, different speeds on, on the fighting. It's something that, you know, we've seen in his other films and it's something that I saw here. And I thought that's, that's what I expect from him. And he delivered. And filmmaking wise, I don't think it is the attack, the initial attack on Poppyland. The church scene is the final blowout in the diner against whiskey because he does the same. It's obviously faked, but one long camera shot. Oh yeah. Yeah. That just goes everywhere. Poppy land is more, you know, is a lot more cut up and a little more standard. The one issue I have with that, and it's just me as a fan of, of movies and having seen a lot, I thought I could see a lot of Robert Rodriguez, like, you know, desperado of, you know, we've got the briefcase with the rockets in it and the guns in that. Uh, I'd seen that before. And I thought, Okay, but that movie's over 20 years old, and there's a whole generation that probably has not seen that. So I can't let my own, I try not to let my own expertise, you know, and experience and history as a film viewer taint that to say, and say, oh, you're just copying that. But does it work well? Yes. And when that briefcase unfolds down to like a huge bulletproof, you know, human sized barrier, you know, shield, yeah, that was really cool. There was a lot of fun things that were going on with that. Uh, I thought they kept it fresh. And yes, he's drawing on things that have been done before, but what film hasn't? And so I can't hold that against him because I think he found a way to make it work within this story. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it, I'm, not, I, I'm not at all uh, claiming that, you know, you can't pull from, you know, inspiration from, I, you know, that you bring up Desperado is great, especially because I brought up Spy Kids, like <laughs> potato, potato. Um, but uh, in, in this case, the, the truth is, I, I feel like uh, this movie comes up short from what I believe he is capable of. Uh, and that's what I was comparing it to. Like I wanted, I wanted more of of this. You know, you bring up John Wick; it's a great example. Uh, I am a huge fan of John Wick Two. I feel like I can't watch John Wick One without watching John Wick Two. Uh, so I just have to devote two and a half hours or four and a half yeah. hours to the whole thing because it's it's that kind of experience for me. I wanted that. I wanted more Matthew Vaughn, not less. And I, I feel like it just it, it was uh, you know half as clever as I think it could have been. Uh, I here here I am shooting for more 
more clever decapitations and crazy <laughs> grenades in the so pants. So what, you, did, and, you didn't get that uh, with anyway. the lasso? With his little like, electrified lasso? Like Yeah, that lasso was okay, that so lasso. That, that was crazy right, cool. They brought that. I wanted that lasso. He did. We had a yeah. whole scene where Whiskey's out there taking, you know, he's slicing guys in half with that thing. And, you know, what that was not enough? Are you not entertained? <laughs> are you not entertained? No, I told you. I told you there were things in here that did work. Yeah. I'm talking. I, I'm talking about the whiskey's uh, kicking in. The, the whiskey's it's bourbon. In, that's right. It's bourbon. Yeah. Good old Kentucky <laughs> bourbon, Tommy. Uh, I, uh, I I just feel like this is this movie missed the missed the bar that bar for me. Let's talk about. Uh, let, let's go through the cast, but uh, I'd like to batch them. Can we batch them? Yes. Uh, and talk about highlights uh, from each group, starting with uh, our friends, the Kingsman, Taron Egerton, Mark Strong, Colin. Firth, Michael Gambon <laughs> as Dumbledore, and uh, Sophie Cookson as uh, the short-lived Roxy. Uh, uh, w- w- highlights from the experience of the Kingsman. Andy, you've been quiet for too long. I, I-, I love Taron Edgerton. I think he's a fascinating actor to watch. Um, and I think I kind of, uh, he was introduced to me with the first Kingsman. And I've just enjoyed seeing him on screen um, and I think that he brings a lot uh, to to film, and I like him in this role. I think he works really well as this character. I, I have a lot of fun with him, and I actually really enjoy what they did to develop his story with uh, with uh, his his girlfriend, Princess Tilda. That that kind of continued, and I was really happy to see that, and and just the other relationships, like him and and Merlin, like their relationship. I just I enjoy so much in both of these films. I, I think that it's it's a, a strength that they have found in the telling of uh, these stories is some of these relationships work just so nicely. I really like to, I'm glad that you brought up uh, Hannah Alstrom as Princess T- Tilda. How are we pronouncing that? Tilda. Yeah, yeah, Tilda. Yeah. Uh, I like that they didn't just sort of, I mean, she seemed like a character that would just not appear in this movie. Yeah. yeah I would right. never yeah. have guessed that, that, you know, like the, the girl that James Bond ends up with is never in the next one. She's just right. disappeared. Uh, the fact that they actually made it a committed relationship based on a certain kind of intercourse. <laughs> I don't know how I can say that, which is what we were left with, which is a big part of the first movie where I remember a lot of people were like, Oh no, weird too far too weird <laughs> yeah why would you end the movie like that but to just sort of double down on that and have them be in love and everything i thought that was oh a lot yeah of fun. and even you, you have like that, that reference where she's like well you know you know what happens when you save the world when you save the world yeah <laughs> uh, i wish i could have uh, i would have enjoyed an actual ending to the scene of when he does that freak out when he's talking to his friend uh brandon um, oh, yeah. that he sort of ruins the entire dinner yeah. and then we don't see anyone until the wedding. But again, film's already two and a half hours. Yeah. We got to keep things moving. Yeah. People got work in the morning. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but I did like the idea, especially very much to go back to a point that I believe it was Pete made in a film that was needing more strong, capable female characters. It was needed. Very least, she wasn't strong. She was capable, and she was a nice person, and everything. But at least they treated that matchup as something important. Well, yeah, I think the when he calls her, I mean, it really speaks to me. You know, volumes of what they're doing with that relationship, where he's he's at the festival, and he knows he's got to you know get intimate to plant that tracker, and so he calls her and, and is you know really honest and says, "Look, this is what I have to do, and I'm I'm being upfront with you, and I want to be honest with you, and that, that's something you know." you typically wouldn't see in like in a James Bond film. He's just, you know, just, you know, women here and there. And to me, I thought that was a real interesting dynamic to show this, you know, 
this relationship and how committed he is, although he is, you know, not ready to get married, you know, at that point. But I think it speaks to his character and how much he feels for her and wants to be honest with her, which is not something I expected. And it, it brought an interesting sort of like dynamic and conflict with him and that storyline. Let's talk about the statesman then. Uh, Jeff Bridges as Champagne, Champ, Pedro Pascal as Whiskey, Channing Tatum as Tequila, and Halle Berry as Ginger. Ginger My favorite moment in the film was when, after Jeff Bridges spit his (laughs) tequila, I guess it was, into his spittoon or whatever it was, and then he takes the liquor and rubs it under his nose (laughs) in just the back of a shot. I thought that was the funniest thing. Yeah, Jeff Jeff Bridges was a highlight uh, uh, of the statesman just because he's so weird. Yeah. Every choice was so weird. I ended up being kind of disappointed in the statesman and and what they brought to the film. I felt like it was just a a flat element. And so so we get the statesman because the Kingsmen are destroyed. And uh, I mean, you know, to the point earlier of, hey, we need to we need to get Eggsy to be working alone. Well, they didn't succeed because now we have the statesman and it's just more people to be working with. And I just felt like there wasn't enough interest in these characters. They they kind of just fall flat like Channing Tatum uh, had the potential to be somebody interesting. And then he's kind of uh, you know incapacitated for the majority of the film. And I, I don't know. I just I ended up kind of really kind of disappointed in in what the, the what they brought to us with the statesman. Did you get that feeling, though, Andy, too? Like this was a, a Tatum had a day open. So he came and did some shooting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's hardly in it, and he's I mean, I guess he gets the it. and Channing Tatum as credit. So it's like for the way that they're advertising, it's definitely more of a glorified cameo. It is. It's a yeah. marketing thing, and that's really frustrating. Why was why was Pedro Pascal in this movie? Channing Tatum should have been whiskey. Channing Tatum should have been the guy that we are with the whole time. We don't need two statesmen uh, to to handle that particular role. It could have been one, and it could have actually brought us closer to that feeling of loss when we ultimately experience the betrayal. I know thought experiments are hard to stomach, but I couldn't help but thinking that we didn't need two of these people. But Channing Tatum looks great in that hat at the end. I would have preferred it well. He doffs it well. And and also, but I mean, the thing about Channing Tatum is it makes it personal for the statesman. Yeah. In the same way that, I mean, you know, you, one of their own is at risk. Yes. Of like this. And so, I mean, it, it gives them, the statesman, an automatic reason to want to give all of their resources. I couldn't help but think, like, keep him, why put him on ice? But give him the rash and then make him go solve the problem. Now I'm we have a ticking sure, time bomb. I, I, Come on. I have a, I have an, uh, I doubt they can afford him. This movie already seems like it cost a mint. And to put Channing Tatum as a lead yeah. role, I'm sure yeah. that I don't, I think it's just economics. You get him, you pay him way too much, I'm sure, for a glorified cameo, but then yeah. you keep at least a cap on that. Curse you, economics. Ah, thanks, Curse money. <laughs> so, interesting side note. Two movies this summer with Channing Tatum feature the song Country Road, Take Me Home. This one and oh, right. Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky. And I thought, does he own the rights to that song? And that's what... <laughs> That is weird. Yeah, that was that was. A <laughs> but they strange, were. But uh, to me, connection between these but two. But it, it 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 they're both used, I think, really well for for how they're fit into the story. But it was just one of those things where I thought Channing Tatum in this song again. What is going on with him? It's interesting that that has become the song for yes, America. It is like because this is. I always like the idea of like British or other countries showing what either they think or a parody of what America right. is like. Yes. 
I mean, we make mine things out of baseball equipment. Like the whole thing is so ramped up to be so funny. And like the scene, uh, preceding the, uh, proceeding the fight in the bar, like that's the most hillbilliest hillbilly person <laughs> stands up and immediately uses the most homophobic, horrible, ridiculously over the top hillbilly language. I just, I fell completely in love with it. It was like, yeah, if you're going to do it, why not go exactly. crazy? What's really funny about that though, back to country road is that we've had this summer, I think four movies with John Denver in it, right? Because it's not just Logan Lucky and Kingsman, it's alien covenant and free fire. What is up with John Denver? I haven't heard anything of him for years, and now he's dominated the summer. It's like his library just got a discount yes. on the market or something. Like it took, like it took, it took, it's a it took, sale on yeah, Getty Music, yes. right? right. It took, it took Prince, R.I.P., to yeah. die probably for them to use "Let's Go yeah. Crazy." Yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe it's something like that. Like something just literally changed, and they were like, "Oh yeah, you can have this song," and everyone went, Great. "Everybody take this song." Yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as the statesmen were concerned, my, my Halle Berry was—I thought she was, she did the best she could. It is a disappointing role, and I was very yeah. much, especially with them planting the seed of, "Hey, you don't want, with Merlin, you don't want to just do this, right?" Yeah. Typing and being—I um, think uh, Andy called her the Q, right? Somebody well, that was else me. did, but yeah. But somebody yeah, going else from Bond oh, okay. Girl to Q is sort of like a downgrade. From Bond Girl to Q. Yeah. She really needed that scene, and we know she can. We've seen her in action oh, yeah. movies. Yeah. She's very capable at that. She was great to in not, Catwoman. To <laughs> not have her, <laughs> to not give her the chance to yeah. do that, and then for them, for the statesman to be like, you're in, totally unproven in the field yeah. person, it felt pandering and felt disappointing, again, two and a half But hours. it did, it did to me, it sort of set, that conversation with Merlin did set up sort of his moment. You know, when they suit up on the plane, you know, it's his his opportunity yes. out in the field and he, you know, commits to that. And I thought that was a that justified that setup. But I, I definitely would have liked to have seen Ginger Ale, you know, sort of step up more than just, hey, I'm throwing my hat in the ring for this, you know, vacant position. I w- would want to see right. her, you know, actively out in the field. But I think it worked well to see Merlin, you know, it was a crucial point for him as a character. Right. I guess if Whiskey hadn't turned out to be a turncoat, yeah. she would have flown out there True. with him. Yes. And would have gotten her chance. Okay. Let's talk Fair about enough. Poppy's people. Obviously, we've <laughs> talked about Julianne Moore uh, as Poppy. We have uh, Edward Holcroft as Charlie, uh, the turned agent. I'm calling him a Poppy's person. Yes, that's fair. I guess that's he fair. Is, he's, right? he's in Poppy Land. And, yeah. yeah, he's, he's in Poppy, a poppy Puppet. We have an actual, an actual Poppy, Poppy <laughs> Delavine, uh, and Keith Allen uh, as Charles, and Tom <laughs> Benedict Knight as Angel Baby. Oh. Those are those are that there are a lot of poppy there people. Are a lot of poppy people. Uh, other than that, that most of them end up blown up. The rest are all red shirts. Yes, the rest are red shirts. So exactly. if we're going to talk about <laughs> literally red shirts. So if we're going to talk about poppy people and we're going to talk about poppy, um, you know the Clara character. So I think you mentioned as one of your points the the planting of the tracker scene mm-hmm. and how that made everybody feel. <laughs> go as, ahead. How that made everyone <laughs> go on. Say how that made everyone feel <laughs> in the audience of, of did it did it go too far? Because I think that's that's one of those. Am I feeling comfortable watching this in, with this audience? Uh, I'm glad I didn't bring my daughter to this movie. So it's interesting. I was worried. I did not this time. I thought, I wonder if Steve will make that no, mistake. This no, week. no, 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 no. I, I did not. Yeah. I have some respect for him taking flack from the uh, interesting intercourse scene or idea from the first movie yeah. and is like, you thought that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. Hold, hold my beer. Out. Yeah, he just went for it. Yeah. 
Um, uh, I it was so over the yeah. top. I mean, I immediately went, nope, this is it. And okay, I'm over. I'm good. I'm good with it. Again, I mean, this movie re- weirdly had me in its clutches. Huh. Yeah, I, I I don't know. It was, it was, uh, I, I kind of was on the, the fence with it. It's one of those moments where I'm like, well, I guess it's, you know, they're, they, they needed to find a scene to get the, uh, you know, the, uh, in the butt line, like they did in the last film. They're like, well, let's up the stakes and, and make it, make him do this. And uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was fine. It served its purpose. Uh, you know, I, I, to me, it just felt like they were, uh, it felt very written for me. <laughs> it's like, no, I agree. Yeah. And there's something misogynistic in that. Yeah. I think at risk of being, uh, too much of a PC patrol. But yeah, it felt like, it felt like we have to up the ante for that scene. And that, well, the whole musical festival had a, like a, uh, what's his name? Uh, Billy Madison. What's his name? Adam Sandler feel of like, hey, I kind of want to go to a music festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? right, so yeah. let's go. Let's just write in a scene for that kind of thing. Because I mean, that was a long way to go for about 30 seconds of important plot development, it seemed like. Yeah, and it felt like this is this is kind of how Matt Vaughn does these scenes, where he's just gonna he's gonna lay it all on the table for you. And uh, you know, I I feel like there are times where in scenes like this where I would appreciate the the James Bond, um, you know, it, as misogynistic as it might have been. At least the camera kind of like drifted away, and 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 as he was <laughs> right. you know, oh, look jumping out the into window. bed with the girl, and we would go, you know, look at uh, the the beautiful landscape that they're in. In this, it's like, wow, not only are we watching his hand go down under her underwear, but then we're zooming into her underwear and pretty much going on inside. Well, again, Matthew Vaughn overfilms everything. Pete already said that there was probably a tot where she went out the where he went out the window, but instead he was also like, We gotta get a camera in there. (laughs) Sorry. That might not be good. It's you know it's not and and in fact the the whole sequence I find really uh, I don't know maybe it's just because I'm a dad I and this I found it horribly offensive because we're taking advantage in film of this woman specifically and exclusively because she is a woman you cannot have this scene if it is a man it's a different if it's a different thing mm. and uh, I found it ridiculously offensive and totally narratively useless I it was stupid it was a stupid choice and it was uh, offensive to the film in the story they were trying to tell and, and again listening to Edgerton try to talk about this you can tell he says uh, that that there is awkwardness mm-hmm. in having to stand up and defend yeah. it it is uh, it is a stupid and offensive thing and I, I didn't I I didn't find it useful or funny and and thought it was really ill-advised I would have been fine like I wouldn't have noticed if they had just put a tracker in her vape nose or something like. anywhere nose, oh, yeah. you know yeah it, it, this it's is a film, a good you know point. what, here's a thing that makes it gender neutral. I mean, even if they put it in her butt, everybody has a butt, right? I mean, you could even do that. Find a, a way to make a butt joke. I still have sodomy gags that haven't landed from the first movie uh, <laughs> around here. Just go ahead and let's have all the butt jokes Well, yeah, you want. but then you're but just lifting this, from this uh, Austin specific? Powers where you're planting something in Fat Bastard's butt, so... This was, and see, fat bastard, that's funny. This was was not no, funny, and it was it, it was really ridiculously sexist, mm-hmm. a sexist choice, and and ill advised, and and totally tone deaf. It's one of those things that I have a feeling that when I see it again, it will not. In the way that you said that when you were back in your car, 
and you were having trouble remembering what you heard yeah. there is a ch- or what you saw, there is a chance that a lot of this stuff or some of my love for it might wash off. Kind of like an avatar situation where when I yeah. was in the situation, sure. I was like, wow. And then it comes yeah. on. Uh, on a that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Can't um, have it. Um, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to, you know, as you say, PC out uh, too much. Uh, so let, please, somebody move me on. Uh, were there, were, do we have but anything you made else really, to say? But about- you made really good points yeah. about the fact that it is so bankrupt as far as a necessary plot device. Yes. He just yes. wanted to up the ante and it's at the expense and it's a good point. So, well, thank you, Thomas. So to, hey, to move it along, hey. Pete, I think. Hey, uh, not right no, now. Not no, right now. Doing uh, a good Pete, job. Everybody's doing Pete, a good job. Pete, you guys Pete are doing a good job. A, Pete and I are having a good nice job, little Tom. conversation. Hey, Pete, how's your beard doing? <laughs> okay, <laughs> cut that out. Here we go. Uh, I think the other role that I in cast and character that we need to talk about is uh, Bruce Greenwood as the President of the United States. Because I think whenever you, I want to hear you. Because I think. Whenever a movie's going to cast the president of the United States, you, you can go one of two ways. You either cast, you know, to, to play toward whoever's currently in office, or you go with sort of your just sort of like generic presidential type. And so in the previous one, in First Kingsman, it was clear that there what they were, you know, President Obama was there. That's who the president was. With this one, I it's I struggle with identifying if this is, yes, it's, it's really murky and I don't, I'm trying to place whether this is supposed to be a, a Trump esque president or just a presidential type. And there's some type of message they're trying to make, you know, about the whole war on drugs and politics and all of that piece. And so it was, it was really challenging for me to parse this out, trying to figure out what they were trying to say and who, what type of president this was, if they were, they were competent, commenting on our current president or not. And I'm not sure because it wasn't really clear to me. It was really, it was really murky. I mean, giant red tie, sort of an off the cuff, ah, here's what I sort yeah. of think kind of thing. And then also the really jarring, I've never seen it, I don't think in a movie before, where the only news reports that you're seeing are is Fox News. Like they're always in there, but it's always them and then CNN and stuff like that for Fox News. And it's not a parody of Fox News. Fox News is very just, we are on on the record. It was, I wasn't sure about the politics of this movie. I don't really oh, understand it. I don't know. I walked out feeling like, especially as they wrap that up. First of all, you have the this president who makes uh, the absolutely criminal uh, decision to kill hundreds of millions of people and and you know uh, put them in these giant mass you know, leaky jail cells stacked on one another. That's uh, fine. I that's that's a whole a we, dumb way I to feel do like that. <laughs> that was really absurd. really. You know absurd. what you don't need to keep in a cage? Uh, people that can't move. <laughs> Such a weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. So it, but but the the final sequence has a number of uh, unsubtle symbols uh, and and bits of script that I felt like were, were quite opinionated that um, you know the the chief of staff Fox stands out and says you know this this president uh, has broken the law and has uh, sent was willing to sentence hundreds of millions of people to death and I stand by in honor as I preside over his impeachment and the Fox News banner is president impeached cut to close up of uh, pr- the president's face looking out the window and he turns around and handcuffs. we move down to we have a close up of him in handcuffs uh, as he is escorted away that is an incredibly opinionated way to end this film uh, and the presentation of the 
the the president. I, I felt like it was a, a deeply clear statement. Yeah, it's pretty interesting the way that they uh, that the, the the storytellers chose to kind of depict that and and really it's I mean it's it's an interesting with this whole you know the Poppy's motivation and everything and in this battle that she's having with uh, with everybody as far as the drugs go I mean it's it's you know it's quite a variety of drugs everything from from smoking pot to you know uh, to heroin and, you know it's it's a very broad range and it's 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 interesting to see kind of what what I don't know what what the filmmakers are saying as far as that goes, but they definitely felt like they were certainly saying something about the uh, the president of the United States and uh, the, kind of the opinion of that. Well, yeah, I mean the opinion of drug use, the fact that our central character that that really the message of the drug use is not that drugs are bad, it's that. Uh, drug use is a much more complicated problem. We've just given the rash to the chief of staff, this trusted inner circle, and the the president turned around and completely betrayed her too, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's again a very opinionated and I thought interesting statement. And I walked out of this. I came back and I was talking to my wife and I said, you know, I feel like this may be uh, the first in the next wave because you remember when uh, you know when Iraq and and W. I mean, there was a series of films that portrayed the president in a certain light. And in this case, the president was you know a number of films are about sort of bumbling president and uh, clumsy and uh, you, you know go back even further and and Chevy Chase and the the Gerald Ford uh, bit was kind of, you know, we had a number of, of, of films that involved presidents that that sort of fit the office that they, you know, that they, that they are lampooned for holding. And in this case, I wonder if we're seeing now the first of the, um, uh, of the films about a president that is portrayed as outright criminal, the impeachment stories, um, and... Uh, you know, movies that play in that ground. I'm, I'm interested to see kind of how films mm. begin to reflect culturally mm. what we're yeah. experiencing. I will say part of part of the uh, the story issue I also had um, just sidestepping a little from that point, Pete, but just re involving the uh, president of the United States was that he clearly was planning on just dismissing everything that Poppy was doing. And I was kind of curious to see what was going to happen with Poppy when her plan kind of fell apart yeah. and everybody just died in the present, let everybody die. Like, I was kind of curious, you know, where that end game was going to take us. And, and of course, we never went there. But it was it was like I I felt like Poppy wasn't smart enough in some capacities. And, and there were elements that I think could have had a little better uh, work on it. Let's talk about Elton John then. <laughs> I'm kind of with Tommy on Elton John. So I was like, oh, this is just absurd. But then he does that flying kick across the stage. I'm like, okay, I, that was pretty cool. <laughs> it was too It was too much at one point. It was like, uh, no one is finding this as funny as Matthew Vaughn is. Yeah. It's too much, it's too much. And then they sort of brought it back. <laughs> I know. It was fun. I think he used him too much. I would have liked a little bit more uh, restraint as far as that's concerned. But even when he pops in and says Elton John friend to save him from one of the robot dogs, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was when he showed up yeah. and his face was in the middle. I was like, ah, Matthew Vaughn, enough. And then when it said Matt, Elton John friend, I was like, oh, right, <laughs> Matthew, you've done it again. You know, I, I actually thought that the, yeah. uh, 
Uh, I, and I'm I'm kind of weird. I I got to the point not where I was actually bought into the use of Elton John. I you know I'm already pretty bearish on this movie, but uh, it, it, the best part for me was when he turned around and said, you know, I got to go save the world. If I save the world, can I get tickets to your show? Oh, you're right. And he said, yeah. if you save the world, <laughs> I'll give you a backstage pass. Wing the little kiss. Yeah, that was funny. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's go back to. I'm I'm going to save the world here. I kind of was hoping for maybe a little more than even a backstage pass. You know, Taron Egerton could get a backstage yeah. pass. <laughs> And he sang an Elton John song in another movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was I was nonplussed by Elton John. Oh, it just it was fun taking everything to eleven and exaggerating. I mean, it's an exaggerated universe, and to me, it just fit with his his persona. And then you know, just little gags like where he's he's singing, you know, Saturday night's all right, Friday, but he's changed it to Wednesday, and the guy's like, "Well, isn't it Saturday night?" He's like, "Well, what day is?" He? He's like, "It's Wednesday." He's like, "Yes," to me. Clever. It made me laugh out loud. I had so much fun with that. And you're laughing. Come on. I like the, the toss away explanation of how you are. I just, I, you are it's my, just so much fun. How do you not have fun with this movie? You guys are just taking it way too seriously. I'm dead inside. You are. I'm dead inside. It's a shame. Yeah. It's a shame you missed out on having so much fun. <laughs> I liked the toss. <laughs> I like the toss away uh, explanation of how. This even happened is oh with all of those yes. celebrities disappearing it, from yes. the first movie that we didn't think anyone <laughs> well, would notice. To me, again, <laughs> brilliant connection back to the first film. That's what a good sequel does: leverage what you've done in the first and exploit it for the second, and do it in a smart way. And it really is fairly lavish, which with its respect to the first one, like there's so many callbacks and so many sort of followed things. I kind of like that because well, the first one, I guess we're not talking about money yet, but I mean the first one wasn't a huge hit, was it? I'll, I'll tell you soon. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was surprised that this one got a second one, I guess. We got to jump into effects a little bit. Uh, it looks like predominantly three effects houses uh, took uh, this film. Senate VFX, Milk VFX, and Framestore. Uh, Framestore in particular was the uh, was behind the, the notable taxi sequence in the beginning and that crazy Oh drift. my gosh, so much fun. Yeah. Uh, that was great. That, I have to admit, I was I was in that drift. I wanted to be in that drift. That was awesome. Uh, and the cable car spinny sequence. Andy, I know you loved that. You know, it's not the spinny sequence. Uh, the, the fact that these bad guys have designed their cable car that, to basically turn into an amusement park ride, which was complete and utter nonsense. Uh, yeah. that, that irritated me to no end. But yep. the thing that really drives me nuts with cable car scenes in movies is when there's an accident and the wires get cut, inevitably it's going to happen, that it doesn't slip off of the cable. It just somehow the cable miraculously turns it into a swing and it holds it on and it swings the car down. It's like that would never happen in the real world. <laughs> Why does everybody have this, this this idea that that's what happens when cables break in a cable car? They don't swing down. It would well, slip for right the off same the reason that every nearly every action movie has somebody crawling through ductwork that would never hold a person up in it. It is just a movie convention that everyone has accepted. I buy people climbing through ductwork because that they did it in Die Hard. Because they did it in It just seems more logical. This is like there's not even an attempt of logic. With it's this. the Kingsman. What are you talking That's... about? Yeah, come on. That logic goes <laughs> out the window in most things. Come on. Uh, right that, sequence, <laughs> that sequence for me is another, I'm sorry to keep repeating the same narrative, but is another example of I didn't care for almost any of that sequence. The spinning around, the falling through the, I didn't care for any of it. And then there's a retirement community. <laughs> 
at the bottom of the mountain. And I was like, Matthew Vaughn, you did it again. Like I'm back in. Cause that was so funny of just these old people being like, no, as this thing plummets down the mountain of them. So that saved it for me. But no, that was, that seemed like a trailer ready sequence. Like we just need something big and splashy. None of that really worked except for the Tom, end. I am consistently surprised by your sense of humor. I've known you for 20 years and this, I cannot believe. I thought that was really funny. So no? bought into that. Oh my uh, God. I it's did just ex- unpredictable. Steve has proven to me uh, exactly uh, which side of uh, his bread uh, is buttered. <laughs> old people talking about bowel mu- movements is always funny. <laughs> It's always funny. I get that. Uh, but uh, I just, I am surprised, Tom. Surprised. But with, but <laughs> what, how, do you, how do you know I'm Tom? <laughs> what if I, t- what if I turned out to be Tommy ugly? <laughs> the, there is one thing though, to go real quick back about the script is I, it did, that whole sequence did really bother me because we went up to the mountain, got the thing, came down and destroyed it that that entire sequence could be lifted out of the film and everything would be fine. That's kind of unforgivable in a two and a half hour movie. So I, I really felt like when that broke and they so telegraphed that yeah. it was going to break. Yeah. He's just holding it like a weirdo the entire time. Yeah. The, the oh, yeah. um, that that, that like was, that. that is one of the most exhausting feelings for me to feel in a movie. It's like, Oh, it really? was the setup that whiskey is like a you know suspect character because it's like he's holding it and whiskey's like oh can I see that and just as he's about to hand it to him it's like oh no you know he's like can take it back because there's something going outside I thought okay yeah there was a lot of mechanics behind trying to get this setup of like whiskey's not a reliable character that felt pretty belabored and a little unfortunate to me but filled with some really fun action yeah. for me. we have this huge factory at the top of the mountain where they're they've decided to manufacture the antidote and then they blow it up. It's like you haven't even emptied it. It's and, and but she still has tons apparently that you know these little drones fly all over the world. It's that whole sequence is just like cut it out of the movie. It doesn't take you anywhere. Yep. Now that I'm remembering, I, I remember feeling pretty bad about that. There you go. That's the spirit I'm trying to engender here. <laughs> Less joy. I want you to feel bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, music: Henry Jackman and Matthew Margison. Uh, we've already talked about uh, the use of the hunky uh, John Denver uh, in this <laughs> movie. Uh, how do you feel about the rest of the music? Did its job. It was pretty deafening. There was no subtle. There's no subtlety that you are sad right. now. You are excited now. It's one well, of those brought, movies. As, as the Andy whole said, movie yeah, they brought the deafening. theme back when when Harry's in the in the bar and he's closing off the door. You know, manners make man. We've got those that theme back there, and which to me was very exciting. For a movie, as Steve has been saying, two eleven, the film or the music was did its job very much of telling us exactly how we were supposed to feel. And if we were questioning how we were supposed to feel, we couldn't because there was no room in our heads <laughs> for anything but the sound of the music. <laughs> it literally drowned out my thoughts. <laughs> Well, I have to tell you guys, I feel uh, good that I got through all five major points uh, in my opus of feeling about this movie. Uh, in terms of, of closing thoughts as we go around, I, I just I feel like it was a, a great. Uh, it, it was a, uh, leverages a great origin story in Kingsman 1 uh, very, very poorly. And uh, I found myself really disappointed in what I, I wanted, what I thought it could have been. I clearly was not, uh, I was not the right uh, Pete 
in my head when I saw this movie. I, I get that, uh, but I did. It did not land for me. Uh, Andy? Yeah, I'm in the same place. I, I uh, ended up just feeling like it. It didn't do enough for me. I was I was disappointed. It didn't. Uh, it didn't use the elements that it was bringing to the table in ways that that uh, I was excited about. Like the the statesman. I was. I thought, oh, what a great idea bringing the statesman into it. It all fell flat for me. The the destruction of the uh, the Kingsman that fell flat for me. There were elements that I did like, like the uh, some of these characters and the relationships, um, you know. But on the whole, I ended up being disappointed. And the fact that they brought uh, Harry back, I think, was the biggest disappointment of them all. Tommy, I'm going to be really interested in seeing this movie again. I remember when I saw the first one. As soon as I got out of the theater, I immediately wanted to see the church scene again. Kind of like with the Captain America, I don't remember what it's called. I immediately wanted to see the airport fight again. Mm-hmm. So it had this like really like dig in kind of moment. I'm not sure what that moment would be for this. So while I really enjoyed it and I had a lot of fun and I thought it was pretty smart, I'll be interested to see if it holds up. Okay, Steve. All right. So this is, this is Kingsman and the Golden Circle, which is clearly very upfront, the logo of the crime syndicate. But- if you pay attention to the end of the film, we have some other golden circles that happen, which are the wedding rings of Eggsy and Tilda when they get married, which I think also is mirrored in the union of the statesmen and the kingsmen. We have other unions joined by golden oh. circles there. So that title, I think, applies across oh. several layers in this film. And it is something that I am looking forward to watching again. And just as you watch John Wick 1 and 2 back to back, I am looking forward to watching both Kingsman movies back to back. Andy, how's it doing in the box office? Uh, the you know, Tommy had asked the the uh, information. The first one, um, it did well for itself. It actually uh, made back uh, four times its budget. Oh um, wow! Okay, it cost uh, ninety about ninety five million, um, and then it ended up making total about uh, four hundred and twenty two million. So it did a it did really handsomely at the box office. Um, this one. It's uh, it's off to I think a slightly weaker start than they were hoping. Um, this one they gave it an extra ten million, so it, it one hundred four million was the budget. Right now, as it stands, um, they're thinking that it's not going to quite hit forty million um, over the course of this uh, opening weekend. I think that still it's going to put it at number one in the box office. Um, I just don't know how long it's going to hold that spot. But uh, but they already have Kings, Kingsman three slated for production. So really, I, yeah. So I'm thinking that they're all feeling like this one's going to uh, do well for them. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Ah, international box office can contribute quite a bit to that. Yeah. It. Yeah. In, the international box office was almost doubled uh, domestic for the first one. I, I think it's probably time. This is going to be brutal, you guys. I can already feel it. Uh, it's time for us to rank it. King's men, back again to shield from all that evil brings when some blue rashes and a lasso leaves a sting. Men of the film board, it is time we start to take to heart this work of art and now impart its ranking on flick chart. <laughs> See, now that's a song of a guy who liked a movie. Yes. I just came up with that off the top of my head. Genius. <laughs> Head over to flickchart.com slash TNR film board and join us for our own little film ranking Thunderdome. Andy, where do we start? Kicking it off, we have Kingsman, the Golden Circle, or the Finest Hours. (laughs) (laughs) I like this movie, just like she did. (laughs) 
<laughs> Kingsman. Uh, Kingsman. I'm definitely finest hours. No, no, no. <laughs> the finest no. hours. Oh gosh. Oh yeah, I've actually watched that movie uh, again since we talked about it, and it's really it's, uh, yeah, it's better than you. <laughs> no, think. it's not. I asked the finest hours, and the finest hours doesn't even like the finest hours. <laughs> Andy, I'm I'm kind of split on this one. I I feel like I'm going to lean oh, toward Kingsman, go. though. Sorry, Pete. All right. Kingsman, the Golden Circle, or Prisoners? Oh, Prisoners. 110 percent Prisoners. Prisoners. Kingsman, the Golden Circle, or Captain America, the Winter Soldier? Winter Soldier. Is that the one with the... No, no, that's the war. No, that was Civil War. Right. Uh, Kingsman, for me, even though I'm throwing my vote in a well. Kingsman, the Golden Circle, or Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets? Ugh, Kingsman. I am going to say Valerian. What? I I ended up yeah. quite liking that movie. Oh, you did? Surprised. Oh, that's yeah. right. I listened I, to the I, podcast. That's it right. It was fun, and I think the big market scene is good, but overall, I had a much better, much more entertaining time with Kingsman Golden Circle. I'm you know, the big difference Valerian. between Kingsman and Valerian is in Kingsman, people had chemistry, and the film cared about its characters. Wow. <laughs> I, I thought that was going to be a joke. That was not funny. No, no, it was not. That was like it was very wow. biting. Yeah. <laughs> We've got serious Tommy on board. Spank. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who, who's going to do it, Pete? Why don't you and Tommy? All right. All right. Tommy, did you, do you remember how this works? Just shout out nope. words. Just right, shout words one. at him. Here we go. One, two, three. Paper. Rock. There we go. Yeah. Uh, Tommy what? for the win. <laughs> Wait a minute. See, my thinking is everyone always thinks the other person's going to go with scissors. <laughs> oh, why did I tell you? <laughs> why did I tell you? That's why I've never lost. Oh, wait, I lost 19,000 <laughs> Rochambeau's. Okay, go ahead. All right, next up Kingsman, the Golden Circle, or Snowden. I will go with Snowden. Kingsman. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I abstain. I haven't seen Snowden. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Snowden. Okay. I, I'm, I, I can live with that. All right, next up, Kingsman, the Golden Circle, or the Dark Tower? Kingsman. I'm going to say the Dark Tower. I have to abstain since I was not part of that. Oh, I have to abstain oh. too. Oh, oh, oh snap. Oh, and I've given up my keys for success. <laughs> <laughs> now so I have funny. to outthink you. Okay. Um, right. uh, can we have Foster okay, vote everyone. for you we'll in, in, in place? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I haven't seen him for weeks. All right, go ahead. All right, ready? Yep. One, two, three. Scissors. Scissors. Paper. (laughs) The old double scissors gambit. You got me again, Nelson. All right. Well, that lands Kingsman, the golden circle at 27 on our chart. 27 out of 62. Well, that's way too high. Words. It is pretty high. I'm disappointed in myself with my uh, with my uh, finest hours. Well, where's the though. original Kingsman at? Yeah, yeah. You should sleep on that. First oh, okay. one is at number five. That's fine. Oh, okay. Oh God. Okay. Letterboxd uh, over at letterboxd.com/slash the next reel. Uh, we do it out of five stars, and you got to know if it's a heart or a no heart, a like or no like over on Letterboxd. Uh, uh, Steve, why don't you kick us off? It's got a big old heart, and I'm going to give it four stars. Tommy? I will give it four in, in a heart. Four yes, stars. Yes, it was guys. so much fun. It makes me sad that you are, your life is so, you know, 
you can't have joy like this. <laughs> but Tommy and I have joy. This was <laughs> no, no, no. There were there were things in this movie that that worked for me that that you know I I feel like were were fun and they were the I I didn't talk enough about the quiet moments that I liked and I have kind of a list of them. I'm I won't talk about them now, but there were moments that I really enjoyed and uh, so this this was a, a, a probably a two star no, movie. Uh, walking out of it for me and I have gotten myself so mad no. over the last hour and a few minutes that it's now a one and what? a half what uh, with a z- with wait, a wait, no hold on light. hold on I'm, Andy can have not un- care about Andy can have quibbles with the movie and give it five stars and 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 this yeah. you have a few issues and it's one what yeah and, what, no what and it went half. down yeah. during went the podcast down over the course you guys actually did not you guys made such a terrible case for this movie that it made it worse for me well done geniuses <laughs> wow well i'm at i'm at a two and a half um, I, I i felt like it was pretty middling and so i feel like that's fair but i'm not giving it a like so two and a half with no like so i don't know i don't know what what do we decide well, we're gonna do that's a that's a that's a uh, that averages to a three well that's pretty easy i mean yeah it averages Woo, to a three I'm happy with that so I guess that still means a like. Yeah. So we all love the movie. Great. <laughs> oh, thanks to take sticks. that and stick it into your, you know, orifice with membranes. Oh, Steve. <laughs> Why do you have to go to the dark places? That and Pete yelling, everybody has butts, is my two favorite parts of this podcast. We're really getting classy here, gents. We are so much more statesmen than Kingsmen. <laughs> Sad but true. Uh, okay. Well, Andy, can you can you fill us in? Where do we go from here? Well, uh, our next uh, film board, we're going to be uh, going back to uh, the future of Blade Runner with uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It'll be an interesting uh, interesting one to revisit that film from nineteen eighty two. It's uh, an interesting. Uh, sequel to make so we'll be chatting about that and, and that's with our old friend Dennis Villeneuve so and then uh, on our main show we are still in the middle of our Star Trek series we've made it over the hump we are um, getting uh, we've made it over the hump of the whole series and we've made it over the hump of the uh, next generation team we're congratulations yeah, with this uh, next one. Well, this is as as always when we are split decisions on these movies. Uh, they're much more fun conversation. Thank you, gents. Uh, uh, Steve, uh, you know it's still great to talk to you. It is always a pleasure to be here discussing movies with you guys. And uh, Tommy Handsome, a real pleasure, isn't it? <laughs> Save that kind of film, bro. <laughs> and Andy Nelson. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to the Film Board. You can find and follow us over on Facebook and Twitter, and we'd love it if you would help us by joining up as a patron on patreon.com slash the next reel. Consider giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or even better, tell the movie lovers you know that they should come hang out with us on the next reel, because when our movie ends, the conversation begins. You guys well, had that, that plan. That was Andy. wonderful. I wasn't. I, I. I. almost wasn't even prepared for wow. that. I'm glad. I'm glad I knew my line. Me too. I wish that Pete would have said when the movie ends. And Andy goes scissors. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, I'm stopping the recording. Tommy, get it all out of your system. Hello, I'm good. I feel good about this. Woo! Oh, I just woke up faster. Oh, sorry, buddy. That's where he's been. Why is he so skinny? (laughs) Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Egger's tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 